I want to rant. But it's not worth my energy. And it's not worth my time. Germany are out of Euro 2020, taking place in 2021. Um, losing 2-0 to England on a goal from Raheem Sterling in the 75th minute and a goal from Harry Kane in the 86th. Um, Germany finished with 54% possession to England's 46th. England just had a little bit better in terms of XG, 1.34 to 1.33 for Germany. Germany took nine shots to England's five, though England created seven bigger, like seven good chances. They both created two big chances, but Germany only created four. They had 84% pass possession, Germany did, to England's 83%. England fouled a lot more. Germany's nine shots, three of them were on target, four were off target, two were blocked, five were in the box, four were outside the box. For England, of their five shots, four of their five shots were on target. One was off target. Four inside of the box, one outside of the box. Manuel Neuer finishes with two saves to Jordan Pickford's three. So, the stats really don't lie. This game was incredibly close. There were times that both teams were more dominant than the other, but in the second half it became clear which Germany team showed up. When I gave my prediction for what was going to happen in this round of 16 matchup, I said it all depends on which Germany team shows up. Is it going to be the Germany team from their game against Hungary, their game against France, or their game against uh, Portugal? And it definitely wasn't bad enough that I would say that it was their game against France, right? The defense was, like, all over the board, even though it was kind of good against that game against France, but they were, like, toothless in their attack. They did not shoot well at all. They did not finish any of their chances. They didn't really even come close to doing well with the ball. Portugal was a runaway. It was ramshackle. The defense didn't matter on either side, and Germany ended up walking out of it. And then the Hungary game, Germany was basically what I've seen for most of their time, right? Lucky to pull out a draw, not generating enough from their attackers, generating a lot through their midfield, being defensively stable, but having no catalyst up front in order to bang in goals. That was the Germany team we saw today. That was the team that got fielded. Uh, Germany did okay, right? They, they seem to have done okay, right? There were a couple of big missed chances. Timo Werner had a great chance in the 31st minute. Uh, that got saved by Pickford, but it was close. It was a very close shot. And then right after England scored their first goal in the 80th minute, Tomas Müller had a fast break that he just bottled. He just he just flat out missed it. He took it on his strong foot. He had Pickford beat. He basically, as long as he didn't shoot it at Jordan Pickford, 
He had a chance. He tried to slot it lower left and just just missed it. Just just completely missed it. And both of those, according to Footmo, had decently high XG, right? Uh, Werner's shot had a 0.47 XG with a 0.54 XGOT, so goal on target shot, right? Muller's didn't hit the target. It wasn't saved, but it had a 0.46 XG, right? So it was it was pretty high. It, it was a pretty good performance from the players on the field right did they miss their chances yeah did they not find a way to attack yeah but the midfield was strong they dispossessed England a good number of times they put in a lot of really good tackles they got a good number of interceptions uh they had six each team had six uh, Germany attempted 11 tackles and came up with five. It was not nearly as many as England, but they had great tackles. Mats Hummels had a really good tackle towards the end of the first half, saving what would have been the first goal, right? Matthias Ginter had a yellow card early on in the game, and you could argue that he didn't have his best game and that he should have possibly been taken off earlier. And if Ingl- if Germany moved on, Ginter wouldn't have been able to play because he had back-to-back yellow cards. But, I mean, that's what you could really argue, right, in terms of the worst of the performers, right? Neuer had a pretty good game as well. Right? They had a fantastic, he had a fantastic game. Even though it was only, like, two saves, that's what it said, like, his presence was imposing enough in order to truly, like, make everything count. I I don't exactly agree with Build's player ratings for, for all of this. So, again, in Germany, in build specifically for their player ratings they rank them on a scale of one to six with one being the best player on the field and six being the worst right so Müller had a five Werner had a five Gnabry who came on had a five and Rüdiger had a five I don't necessarily know if I agree with all of those I think Werner did not do nearly enough up front I think that I'll touch on Gnabry in a little bit in a completely separate issue. Uh, Müller, his passes were sloppy, his big chance missed, but I don't think he was the worst player on the field. He, he certainly wasn't the worst, and you're not really going to field a better back line if you're Germany than Ginter, Hummels, and Rüdiger. So I don't exactly know about that. The best players on the field were, uh, according to Build, were Manuel Neuer and Kai Havertz. And I agree with that. I think Havertz had himself a fantastic game. Kai Havertz really should have had two assists today. He was fantastic. If I, if I walk away from this Germany team knowing one thing, it's that Kai Havertz... Uh, is a fantastic player, but I already knew that. And he already showed it at Chelsea. And I think, if anything, it just shows that Bayern really should have made a push to sign him, even though I'm not exactly sure how it would have worked out in the middle of the field. But uh, it it proves that Havertz was one of the better players on the field. Um, 
it was probably I don't I don't know if if this was going to be Tony Colas's last appearance at a major tournament. All right, future Jake cutting in for a little bit. Uh, yes, this actually was most likely going to be Tony Colas's last game because according to Build, he is uh going to retire. He's going to announce his retirement from the German national team. So just thought I'd pop in to say that. Back to the show. It it it'll be interesting to see what the next head coach uh, decides in terms of the midfield and in terms of the back line, because even though the oldest player on here was Manuel Neuer, he did fantastic. And the second oldest player, Mats Hummels, outside of a own goal that you could argue wasn't exactly his fault because that's what any center back is supposed to do in the situation that he scored his own goal against France had a pretty great tournament. Müller had a pretty decent tournament. And as much as he may not have played his best today, you could tell in that game against Hungary how much different of a team that looked like with Tomas on the field. You could say that for a number of people. You could say that for Jamal Musiala, who had a pretty decent impact in that game against Hungary, right? For as little time as he got, right? Musiala didn't get rated because he came on too late. So now I get to talk about what everybody, what I've been avoiding saying, the person I've been avoiding saying, uh, because... Here's the real reason why I'm conflicted about today. I am very mad. I am very, very mad that Germany lost. I'm upset about it. But you know what? I'm celebrating. Because Yogi Löw is finally fucking gone from this team. It's something that should have been done after the 2018 World Cup. It's something that should have been done after 2019 when he didn't turn in a single like quality performance against a top 50 FIFA ranked side. It's something that should have been done after Germany lost to Spain by a wide margin in late 2020. It's something that should have been done when Germany lost 2-1 to North Macedonia in Duisburg in World Cup qualifying, even though he had already said that he was going to leave. Yogi Love's legacy is no longer the 2014 World Cup. It can't be the 2014 World Cup because that doesn't make any logical sense how a man who ended up winning a World Cup and then going on to win the Confederations Cup with a team of youngsters did such a terrible, terrible job this entire time. His legacy is not the World Cup. You want to know what his legacy is? One of the first World Cup group stage exits for Germany since the second World Cup. Or the first one since the second World Cup. The first ever time that Germany lost in the round of 16 in any major tournament. The first defeat since losing 5-1 to England at the Olympiastadion in a World Cup qualifier. And then that brings us to today, because there was no way that Yogi Love could not go out without making more records or significant uh, success, right? The last time that England beat West Germany at Wembley was 
an international exhibition match since March of 1975. The last time that Germany lost to England in any competitive match in terms of a world tournament, right? Not the Azteca 2000 tournament, uh, but in a World Cup or in a Euros. The last time it happened was in 1966 in the World Cup final at Wembley. But nope. Yogi Lev found a way. He found a way. He did a great job. And he found the way to make it happen. And knock Germany out. And I really do blame this on Yogi Lev. I also blame this on the DFB. Whoever at the DFB allowed Yogi Lev to be the head coach after 2018 needs to be fired now the national embarrassment as much it is as it is on yogi love needs to fall on some of the heads of the dfb because 2018 was not a uh was not a fluke apparently germany could not play against top flight sides. I think that the win over Portugal was a bit of a fluke. If it wasn't for those own goals, that's a 2-2 draw, people. That's a 2-2 draw. And Germany doesn't make it through on no wins, two draws. One loss. So, let's really take a look at what I think has been the worst part of Yogi Love's decision making and that is his his squad selection really really his squad selection and his in-game management right let's take a look at the entire team right because that's what we get to do now we get to do that now ladies and gentlemen cuz now we're out and now there is nobody that gets to tell me and tell the rest of us something like, oh, well, hindsight is twenty twenty. You're not allowed to go ahead and do that. No, we get to do this now because the man embarrassed the country and himself and tarnished his reputation in the eyes of Germans forever. So let's take a look at this entire roster. I find it funny that Nick Sula did not get a lot of significant playing time in this tournament. After a great season that he had at Bayern, I cannot wrap my head around the logic of not really going ahead and giving him a start in any of these games. In any of them. If really, in any of them at all. I'm just, I'm looking right now through, through this entire, uh... <laughs> Through the rosters, right from from every from every game that that Germany played, right. He touched the field in the seventy third minute against Portugal, and that was it. That was it. That was the entirety of his tournament, touching the field one time. If you're going to start three defenders, why did you bring eight? 
Why did you bring eight defenders? There was no, there was no reason to bring eight defenders if you were going to play really, like five or six of them. Really, let's let's go through this roster. The only three players that started at all through this entire game, the only three starters on this defensive side, Hummels, Kinta, Rüdiger, Halstenberg, and Suda got, like, late-game playing time against Portugal that didn't mean anything at all. I don't count Gozans as a defender, even though he's listed like that. When it comes to off the bench, why was your go-to defender Emre Chan? At risk of all of the Dortmund players yelling at me, like, do you honestly believe that in this entire list, Emre Chan is the fourth-best defender? on this team or even like considering to like get cracking into the top spots because I'd say he's like maybe the third best defender on Dortmund and then other than that Robin Koch of Leeds United Christian Günther of Freiburg and Lukas Klostermann of Erbe Leipzig no playing time at all no need for it what is the point of bringing all of those players and only two strikers. Two real strikers. Timo Werner and Kevin Volland, who only touched the field twice. And when he did, it was very late. Not like they probably would have added a lot, but I'm kind of sad that Jonas Hoffmann and Florian Neuhaus got no playing time at all. At, just for their sake, right? At that point, like, why even bring them? Why bring players if you think that they're not going to contribute to your team at all in any way, shape, or form? Why continue to put Yozoa Kimmich on the wing when... The one game that you allowed him to really play inside, he did fantastic. Why did you continue to start Ilkay Gunduan when Leon Goetzka turned in really good performances off of the bench? Why did you not bring any pure number nine strikers when the majority of the players on this team play in a system that works by whipping balls in to a tall, powerful number nine striker. And it's not like they don't exist. Luka Waldschmidt probably didn't have his best season in the world, but he had 10 goals and 41 appearances for Benfica. I would have liked to see that on the field. I would have loved to have seen him at number nine. Right there in the middle. Right, because they kept whipping balls in. Right, you saw it. You saw this entire game. Germany trying to whip balls into the middle. You think Kai Havertz or Serge Gnabry or Thomas or Timo Werner are gonna go up and get that? Timo Werner doesn't score headers. He doesn't score at all, really. Timo Werner did not score a single goal this tournament at all. How did how how does that look on your team? 
really, how does that look on your team when the only players that scored for you were midfielders? And one of them was Robin Gosens, who is a combo midfielder and defender. What does that say about your team and your system? When they keep crossing balls in, but the only way you scored the entire tournament was from midfielders. And you only brought two strikers. After Timo doesn't score in your first three games, why do you keep Voland on the bench? And before all of us Bayern fans start laughing at the idea of Timo Werner missing goals, Serge Gnabry didn't score a single goal either. And half of the time, he was either playing as a number 10, like the top main striker, or out on the wings as a substitute. So let's not all start laughing at Timo. Serge had a very poor tournament. Some of this is on him, too. But the epitome of all of this, the terrible man management, can really get looked on in terms of who England, who Germany brought on and when they brought them on throughout the entirety of the tournament. So let's go through that. Let's, let's take a look. In the game against France, Love used four of his five available subs. His first substitution, after being down one nothing for the entire game, came in the 74th minute. He brought on Serge for Timo, and he brought on Leroy Sané for Kai Havertz. And then he didn't make another substitution until he made a double sub in the 88th minute, bringing on Emre Can and Matthias, for Matthias Ginter and Kevin Voland for Robin Gosens. Let's look at Portugal. Even though we won this game, uh, it took until the 62nd minute for... Love to bring on Halstenberg, who, for Robin Gosens, one of the best players in that entire game, the guy that walked off with man of the match, and then brought on Emre Chan again for Mats Hummels. And then in the 73rd minute, he brought on Goretzka for Havertz, who was also the one of the better players of that game, and Nick Sule for Ilkay Gundogan. And then in the 87th minute, he brought on Sané for Ganabri. That's five subs, if you count it. Of the four games that Germany played, Love only used five subs twice. He only used five subs in half of his games. Uh, it was in against Hungary. He brought on Goretzka for Gundogan in the 58th minute, which, is, which was the correct move. Because Goretzka helped turn that team into something different, right? In the 67th minute, he did a double switch... Timo for Kai Havertz and Müller for Serge Gnabry, which was impressive for Müller being able to really change the tempo of the team despite being injured, and that was really the reason why he didn't start that game. So that's understandable. And then in the 82nd minute, he brought on Voland for Ginter and Jamal Musiala for Robin Gosens. And in the, the nothing burger minutes that Musiala played... He really showed out. Maybe not necessarily to the mark that you want to start him, but pretty good. 
he did fantastic. Like, definitely an early sub in the game against England, which, keep that in mind, right? Like, that would be a great game for Musiala to get significant playing time in, right? He's energetic, he's out there against a team that he spurned, he wants to go out, make a big appearance, and Love doesn't bring him on until extra time. Tied nothing, nothing, he brings on Serge Gnabry for Timo Werner at that same spot, right up top. So why would you ever want to have a natural striker at your number nine position? It's not like you don't have one. You have Kevin Voland on the bench. So anyways, you decide to replace your main striker with a winger up top, and you wait until the 69th minute to do it. And then a goal gets scored in the 75th minute, and you do nothing. At all. At all. You do absolutely nothing when you get a goal scored on you. And then Harry Kane taps in the second and the 86th minute. And then the first player to touch the field is Emre Fincan. Who the fuck brings on a defender when you are down goals, period. End of story. I've seen turnarounds from being down 2-0 with less time. But you bring on a defender in the 87th minute. Why do you do that? How tactically and mentally and just sporting-wise incompetent are you? to bring on a defender when you need to go out and get goals. He brought on Sané for Gozens in the 87th, and then in the ultimate slap in the face, he puts on Musiala for two minutes. Yogi Love deserves to be fired. I am so fucking happy that he's gone. I wanted him to be better. I wanted... 2018 to be a fluke and as the days go by I'm more and more convinced that 2014 might have been the fluke but if not then I believe with my being every single day that goes by that Hansi flick had a million times more of an impact on winning in 2014 than Yogi Love did. Yogi Love means utterly nothing to me as a coach. In my mind, he's a relative failure of a coach. Because how can one go from the highest of highs to throwing it all away in a matter of four games? Four games really being the loss to South Korea, and the loss to France this time, and the loss to Spain in 2020, and then England today. Because let's think about it. One in 2014, semifinals in 2016 at the Euros, which sucks, but that's not terrible. Winning the Confederations Cup in 2017, riding that high all the way to the World Cup, and back down to earth.
like subterranean levels of earth in 2018 and you still couldn't have climbed out of it you were so close to getting to the top right you dug yourself so deep of a hole you didn't even know what light looked like and now all of a sudden you're just climbing your way out of that hole and you're just about to reach like the top you're like a couple feet away and then you just manage yourself out of the game you deserve all of it yogi you deserve every ounce of criticism, and I would say at least 75% of the blame for all of this. You fully deserve it. Congratulations, you utter failure. And this is on the DFB as well. You should have fired him after 2018, after he embarrassed the country, when he did something that nobody in Germany had done since 1938 and not made it out of the group stages. You should have fired him long, long ago. And yet, here we are. Out of the tournament, out of the round of 16, for the first time in any major tournament. Shame on all of you. Of all of the failures in this round of 16, and all of the disappointments, right? Let's think, right? Mbappe missing that penalty yesterday. Croatia allowing Spain to have their keeper score an own goal. And then getting two scored on them in a massive back-and-forth game and then blowing it in extra time. Ronaldo not being able to find a goal for Portugal at all. The Netherlands for hiring Frank Dubois in the first place. This, to me, is the most embarrassing. The biggest embarrassment because you knew the signs were there. You were staring them right in the face. And you did nothing about it. The DFB could have made a decision that would have benefited the team. And they screwed it up royally. He should have been gone after 2018. You got multiple chances. You had so many chances to fire this man. Right after 2018, right after losing to Spain, right after losing to North Macedonia. But no, 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 no. He's a World Cup winner. We have to keep him on. We have to make sure that he can set new records for us. Well, guess what? He did, and he set the worst ones. Fire everyone at the DFB who was in charge of making that decision. Shame on all of them. can only hope it gets better and i have no energy for any of this i've i have no cares or energy for any of this because all of my anger right now and all of my rage right now is because i wanted this team to be better but i knew this was coming I had hope. I had hope. That's really what it is. They made me feel hope, and they let me down, because it's the hope that kills you. By the way, no more Bayern players with this with this loss. They're all gone. 
every last Bayern player is gone. Because after France lost yesterday, and if we want to count Alaba, he got eliminated with Austria. Now there are no currently active Bayern players that we get to root for. I guess we could root for Spain if we all love uh, Thiago Alcantara still enough to root for them. Or we might all have to root for another country a more a more interesting country like like sweden or ukraine that's playing right now or the czech republic and their bundesliga wonder boy uh patrick schick or denmark the glory story of denmark or one of the other big name teams but what i can tell you right now is that nobody is going to consider germany a threat for a while and it is fully deserved it is completely deserved not a single solitary one is going to think that germany is a threat so let's 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 look at you know what's ahead for the german national team they have the olympics coming up which will be interesting we'll get to see whether or not any players from this Euros team get to uh, get to make an appearance. Usually I believe the rule is that you have to be under the age of 23 and then after 23 they have a number of limitations on who can and can't get called up. Uh, so looking at this team the only two players that would meet the requirements are Jamal Musiala and Kai Havertz. So I guess we'll get to see whether or not uh, German U23 coach Stefan Kuntz calls them up. Uh, see whether or not they call up Thomas Müller or Manuel Neuer or somebody, right? Otherwise, Germany are third in their World Cup qualifying group behind Armenia and North Macedonia. Their next game in that is uh, is against Liechtenstein on September 2nd. So that's it. That's, that's the end of this podcast. I know it's a long one, but it's the last time I will ever have to talk about Yogi Love, so I wanted to get in all of the insults before I, uh, I had to leave. So we'll see you all later.